Sporting dynasty has ended. There will be no seven in a row for the Dublin footballers. They're beaten by Mayo in the most dramatic game at Crow Park on Saturday night. What a game to get into. We're going to talk to Darren O'Sullivan in just a second and get all his analysis about everything that went on. We'll talk as well about the other semi-final, the uncertainty slash maybe renewed certainty about everything that's going on there and everything else as well. Later in the show, also, we will um, speak to Morris Brosnan inside the game and talk about some of the stuff that's going on um, in the GA world, including the promotions of the games and whether we're getting enough of it um, this year. Uh, also, if you enjoy the show, please do subscribe to the channel. If you're watching on YouTube, if you're listening on the podcast, subscribe, leave us a rating, etc., etc. This is GEA Embedded. We're here with you every Monday on Balls.e. And right now, it's time to speak to Darren O'Sullivan. Darren, before we say anything else, I think uh, people will have seen it on our social channels. If they were listening last week, they'll have, they'll, they'll have heard as well. One man and one man only predicted Mayo to not just uh, beat Dublin, but to win the All-Ireland. You're halfway there. Uh, Look, I didn't think... I hope, you I hope I'm wrong. What's, what's I hope I'm on? wrong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He hopes he's wrong. Uh, but I said to myself at halftime, I said, what's this guy out of over? I was holding him. Well, we bother getting him on Monday at all, but proved yeah. right at the end. Yeah, no, I was like, I was watching the first half as well. And uh, it was, uh, do you know what? It was just a kind of, the way the year had been going for Dublin, they were just about plodding along, doing enough, keeping Mayo at arm's length. And Mayo just looked... Very unmayo like in terms of their energy was was down. Everything was ponderous by him. There was, I was expecting a frantic pace, um, full on aggression. They weren't like that. Maybe they had learnt their lesson. I think they have over previous years that if you go full on hell for leather straight away against Dublin, come the 50, 50 odd minutes, they take over normally because of their bench. Uh, I think it's been well documented. Their bench isn't as strong as it has been in previous years. But no, look, I think anybody watching that game the first half would have thought same old story. Um, Mayo just haven't got enough to get over the line. But Jesus, it was typical of, of Mayo over the last 10 years, I suppose. Their fight, their heart, their dogged. Um, it's been shown on social media numerous times over the last... 24, 48 hours, um, Dear O'Connor, yeah. just going for a nothing ball, going for a nothing ball. And at the time, you're, you think very little of it on it, geez, fair play to him. But that's Mayo. Mm. That is Mayo. It's all heart. Just give nothing up, keep going. And look, they got what they deserved in the end. And to be fair, they could have won by more. They were come extra time. They were the ones that seemed to have the energy in the legs. And I suppose what caught Dublin was, they had been going through the motions up to now. Um, look, look, that's not their fault. They were playing poor opposition in Leinster. They were doing just about enough. And when they got asked to up a gear, they just couldn't do it. Yeah. And we all kind of thought that, like, I don't know if hope is the right word, but, you know, in terms of looking for competitiveness, there was a sense that maybe Dublin are coming back. But I'm not sure we believed it until we saw it. But it, it does work both ways. I think we should talk about Dublin. But also, just from Mayo's point of view, it's like, this is something we've seen from Mayo a million times, and maybe maybe they're on the wrong end of the ultimate result a long time, a good few times. But when you think of the the, the Mayo teams that lost, like the, you know, we're talking about Dublin as the best team ever. Mayo bringing them to replays, losing by a point, never giving up. You know, I think a Killian O'Connor score to equalise in the All Ireland final, a good few years ago now. But this is reflective of. Mayo teams, James Hoare and Mayo teams, whatever way you want to put it, that they do stick in there. And when they did look beaten at halftime, they're the one team that you'd sort of say, geez, I don't know if they're gone yet. Like, you know, it's not like it was 
maybe when you guys came up against them in 04, 06, when the game was over once they were once they had that bad start, you know? Yeah, I think I think this Mayo, this new Mayo, I suppose we call them, but they're not new anymore, started in 2012, where they started bringing a bit more aggression to their game, a bit more doggedness. They went away from just being a footballing team and trying to play it in the nice and nice to watch kind of way but the thing that stood out to me was look we knew they'd have a lot of fight we knew they'd keep going but over the previous years you looked at Andy Moore Aidan O'Shea Killian O'Connor three big names to do it um Killian obviously injured Andy retired Aidan just wasn't at the races the last day but it was the other lads who stood up do you know and I think that's what they've been waiting for for a long time for somebody else or a few other players because there was a number of them Mm. to stand up and carry the can. And then you come back to your Lee Keegan at the back doing what he's done year after year after year in a new position for him. You would always associate Lee with bombing up the field and doing the attacking side, but he was outstanding the last day. But for me, it was just down to the to the newer lads. I knew they'd have energy. I knew they'd have pace. When the shit was about to hit the fan, when they're about to be gone again, would they stand up? And they did. Conroy had a good game geez laid on the game when you really want a fella to stand up he stood up yeah he was superb especially the last five minutes then extra time yeah. where he basically won it for them in extra time with those couple of scores uh just on on um keegan and you know that that sort of sense of like there's so much history there and yeah. you know uh, keegan o'shea henley you know, Durkin for a lot of it. I'm probably missing a couple. Dermot O'Connor. These lads have so much history with this fixture. And I just wonder how much that weighs for good or bad. But like even like last year's All-Ireland Final, that's a new team that had a lot, that got good experience from there. But for these guys, they've been through it with Dublin so many times. How do you keep rising yourself and believing that you can do it when you've been burned so many times? It makes it all the more impressive for me. Especially when someone like Lee who really stood up and had his best game that I've seen him in two or three years for someone of his talent. Like, Yeah, and that's what it is. I think that's that's the most impressive thing about it. You know, after the first half that they had, it was a case of deja vu all over again. We just, we're just not good enough to beat Dublin. And I think it was down to the freshness in the team. Obviously, James Horn has to take massive credit. Um, like I said, for me, Aidan's a, a great player. Um but he wasn't at the races the last year. It wasn't happening for him. But it was a big call because he is one of the players they would have always looked at. He's a leader. And they took him off. It was a massive call. Yeah. And it paid. It paid off. All of a sudden, they just, it was like the intensity, the, the speed that they were playing, it just went through the roof. And Dublin couldn't live with it. And whatever it is about youth, they have very little fear. They probably don't have the same baggage as some of the older lads that have gone have. And they could see it. Mm. Dublin had 10 points at half time. Second half, like it was just unheard of. Look, like, it was a bad day at the office for Dublin. Personally, I think it's, look, I think it's been said and it's easy to say now it's probably been coming that they were going to start falling into the pack or the pack were going to start climbing up towards them. You don't replace the players that they've replaced um, with like for like. Now these players will go on to have brilliant careers for Dublin. I've no doubt they'll be. Uh, back competing in the All Ireland final next year, um, but it just doesn't go on forever. And when you needed a bit of fight, when you've won six in a row and you've as many medals as they have, and some of them haven't experienced loss before, sometimes you you just can't 
get going and you can't it's not like a light switch you can't just flick it on and when they had to up it they just couldn't and mm. that was the way it was they were out fought um you know it came down it came down to want who wants it more and you'd be surprised if dublin wanted it more than mayo that mayo team have so much baggage and like we said a lot of them are young lads they don't have the baggage but they were supporters in them days as well they would have seen it they would have felt it and mm. they would have been in the crowd and look i think that the mayo fans deserve that day but they've been here before they've been here before big semi-final wins there's nothing won um so it's about it, they have to get themselves back down to our down and right we have a big game in three and three and a half weeks yeah oh absolutely and look they've got a bit of time now then the, i do want to actually address that point briefly because mm. it's an interesting idea that there's nothing won because in many ways stop it mayo have 1951 they need an all ireland there's yeah. no there's no second prize for mayo at the moment right but at the same time we should celebrate a team ending like a team that's won six all irelands in a row it's not just it's, it's it, like i don't know whether for cork beating um kerry in 97 was quite this but you know it's as much a deal for mayo to beat dublin on this occasion in this particular team that haven't been beaten in one of us 45 championship matches as it is to kind of go and win that all and if they do lose to carrier tyrone in a good performance that they show up for you know not once it doesn't kind of go and they feel like the job is done you have to think of it like this is still a historic moment you know and they have to enjoy it as well uh, yeah look it's a historic moment you'd be <laughs> possibly the greatest team of all time but who remembers it who's going to remember that oh we won a semi-final they won a lot of semi-finals uh personally it won't matter if they don't win the final who cares who they beat in the semi-final genuinely uh it's that simple um yeah. I, I always look back with talladega nights if you're not first or last what does it matter second third fourth yeah like the all irelands it's one winner and it doesn't matter how great you are leading up to the final um if you don't win it doesn't matter look that dublin team were phenomenal uh, and that dublin team changed a lot over the last six years as well and you can't keep going well, I don't think you can anyway keep producing the best all the time and there's always going to be a, a lull for a season or two where you have to maybe reinvent yourself because like it's it's hard to say that they were getting predictable because people still couldn't stop it mm. um, but I think when they needed a bit of off the cuff magic which they had the players to do nobody was there to do it Yeah, before you'd have had Kevin McMillan come on and all of a sudden he was just totally different he was a powerhouse he'd run straight through you but they are very structured. Um, like very rarely I watch a Dublin game and then after you go, Jesus, they, do you see that point they got from out by the sideline or do you see a man's outside the boot there or there's nothing on them, kind of sh shot for nothing. They don't do that. They're very structured and calculated in their play. And Mayo stopped that. And all of a sudden then when they're probably looking around for somebody to do something, something that off the cuff, which Mayo have in abundance, they go from anywhere bit of kamikaze stuff Dublin don't do that and I think it was lacking and that comes down to the bench then as well but look I think that Dublin it's hard to say Dublin team that Dublin set up over the last five or six years have been phenomenal um the way they kept coming back year after year after year it's it's amazing like it you'd say it'll never be done again you wouldn't know it um but you have to credit what credit's due it was always going to come to an end Mm. To be fair, from a neutral point of view, it is great that the one team that pushed them to the pinner and collar for so long 
was the team to stop it. And I think if you asked the Dublin team, if one team was going to stop you winning, who would you like it to be? I don't think they'd like to be anyone, but they'd probably say Mayo. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely a kind of a, a, a sporting satisfaction there as well as yeah. the respect, as you mentioned. Yeah. Look, I, um, I don't know if you heard uh, Parker Hora's interview on uh, RT straight after the game. And what was interesting, I think, about it was how emotional he was. And I think that's what a lot of people took out of it. But the one that, when I watched it back, I was thinking... What he's saying is actually very interesting. It's like, we did what we planned to do. We knew what we could, you know, and there was a lot of kind of like very, you know, behind all the emotion was a person here saying, we went out and did a job. We knew what that job was and we completed it. I wonder is like, there were 10 tree down at one stage. That obviously wasn't part of the plan. But all the things you're saying about Dublin and, you know, not being able to maybe switch on a switch or maybe go through the gears because they haven't had to do it in so long. And they really didn't have to do it all the last year in the, in, you know, in the Winter mm-hmm. Championship either, if you think about it. Uh, they were comfortable in every game. They got that early start against Mayo. So I wonder, is this like, is this like are we giving James Horan in a weird way enough credit for that performance? Mayo didn't panic, but also they knew that they probably had that second half in them, that ability to pressure Dublin on the ball and that Dublin might not have the answers. And I think if, if you if you just take from what O'Hara said there and the evidence of what we saw in the 90 minutes or whatever it was of the game, Mayo really did know they were ready to go hell for letter for the last 20, 25 minutes and had something in the tank in the way they didn't have back in December. Yeah, well, I suppose, look, it's a bit like the kind of final note, very different oppositions, but... I wouldn't be surprised if that was the plan. Look, we're going to keep it composed in the first half. Keep them at arm length. Don't fall too far behind. Second half, we'll go out like maniacs. And that's kind of what they did. And you can't do that for 70 minutes against any team, let alone Dublin. So I would say, because like that, you were watching the team, like, this is, this is so unmayo. Like, there was no pace about it. There was no aggression. It was almost like they were holding it, holding it, holding it, and then bang. We're going to get them here after halftime when they can't regroup. They can't have a, a proper sit down and structured chat about it. And they'll be a bit starstruck. They, how, how do we react to this? We haven't had this in a year and a half. And that's the way it, it looks now. And maybe we're giving too much credit. Maybe it was just a bad first staff and yeah. they came out of themselves. But that's that's the way it looked. It looked like they were holding back, holding back, holding back, and then bang. And then they exploded. And it is very hard to adjust mid-game um sorry not even mid-game during the mid-second half like when mm. when the momentum stopped swings it's it's very hard to turn around and like that you're looking at it. <clears throat> the bigger players Kieran Kilkenny was good in the first half I felt but didn't see any of him in the second half Conor Callan couldn't switch it on Dean Rock was reliable as usual but they're bigger players they haven't had the greatest year. Look, I'm not saying that in a disrespectful way. They can't be outstanding every year, and they have been for a long time. But um, when they needed their bigger players to step up and stop the momentum or change the moment, they couldn't do it. It's just, look, it is what it is. Um, there's going to be a year where it just doesn't go for you. And unfortunately for Dublin, it was this year. But I think credit just has to go to Mayo. I think they got the game plan right. Um, we've, they've showed already this year they're a second-half team. Mm. Um Normally they go in their health for litter, but you can't sustain that. So, look, experience is key. Um, James Horn's been there for a long time. He knows the players very well, and he knows what they can do. And look, credit where credit's due. Look, obviously it was a very emotional win for him. Um, mm. 
but it was like you said it was tactically very well done yeah Derek Moore here saying kind of stay in the game don't panic stick to the process Mayo are seriously conditioned and the Dublin bench pours goes along kind of what we've both been saying there but on the Dublin bench like there was a point I tweeted it late in the game Darren when like it was I think, I think Dublin were still winning maybe by a point or two but I just felt like it was getting away from them and the weirdest thing was for a team that had won six all Ireland's in a row was they didn't I didn't feel like they had the experience on the pitch because that's when your subs come to the fore Philly came on maybe last minute I don't think he was even on at this stage and you're just thinking they don't have Cluxton there to calm it down Comerford didn't do too much wrong but if you think that last process that went out for the last phase that went out for the 45 you think Cluxton mm-hmm. might have just calmed it down a little bit more that was one of the weirdest passages of play I've ever seen I don't think yeah. I've ever seen a team concede a 45 like that before you take other players that like just weren't there was no Kevin McMenamin as you said to come on and charge through and just win a free you know or whatever the case may be and even the likes of someone like Costello is kind of starting now whereas he's been that guy for them for the last few years it felt like they were inexperienced and it's because they were really you know there was too many lads who'd never really been in this position before well that's exactly it they'd never been in this position before um, look, they've obviously had tough games and they've all been there for the Mayo games, but realistically, when it came down to this time of the game and when it came down to you need someone to step up, it was the older lads who did it. It was your Cluxtons, it was your Kevin McManus, even Paul Mannion there. Paul yeah. Mannion would get on any team. No, Paul Mannion. Um, Jack McCaffrey would get on any team. Mm. Uh, the moments where you need fellas who've been around, like Jack McCaffrey would have Bob down one a free. Yeah. Kevin McMenamin would have come on. But look, that's just the way it is. Like you can't be wrong forever. Even Philly McMahon coming on, you're bringing on experience, but Philly's been around a long time. But how tuned in is he at the moment? Uh, like I was hearing the last couple of weeks he was involved with Bose and they all have a lot going on in their professional and personal lives now as well. Like so like <laughs> you can't keep going to the well with the same fellas and we were probably still relying on if you were looking at Dublin saying oh such and such will come on but it just doesn't work that way they, um, this has been happening for a couple of years now that the bench isn't getting the same impact um, and that's just the nature of the beast like you said Carmen Costa has been promoted from match winner to starter and you're probably looking at that game last year going who would be able to come on here and get a point straight away he was a bit like Barry John Keane for us yeah. guaranteed a couple of scores when he came on and that was taken away and instead of him coming on at that time you're probably looking to take him off um so uh, look it, look it's an evolution Do you know there's they've been in a bit of a transition as well with the amount of players they're losing they're going to lose more this year so it's never a, a straightforward mm-hmm. cycle and look maybe their style of play needs to change now as well it, like we said earlier it's very structured um it was very like I was going, it's the opposite of high risk. It was very um, safe and secured. Very little is put up for grabs. At times, it can look a bit like the old Barcelona. So people get bored of it or whatever. Yeah. But I think teams eventually it took us six years. <laughs> but the teams eventually copped on to how to stop it. And it, a lot of it is you protect the D area. They're not going to go for too many shots outside of it. Mm. Um, and eventually, if a team's going back and forth enough, and especially against a team like Mayo, who are the best tacklers in the game. They will turn you over. And when you're tracking back then after being turned over, that's when the energy is sapped out of you. And then when they needed that bit of a zip, they didn't have it. Yeah. 
I saw they, they got a point. Paddy Small got a point in the first half. Uh, it was a one-two with John. They had come from uh, Davy Byrne, I think, just deflecting a long ball in for Mayo, and they broke brilliant. James McCarthy was involved two or three times. I just watched it again there this morning. I was thinking like. Dublin don't play like this hardly at all. Do you know what I mean? There were seven or eight lads on the overlap. They were on a full sprint. It was a full length of the pitch for score. And it's like they needed to do play like that in the second half when they were no longer winning and they weren't trying to kill the game. And it feels like when you've been trying to kill the game for four years, you know, yeah. because you always had a lead. It is it is really tough to to just sort of turn it on and play a different way. Like, Yeah, and a lot of it is, like you said, like fellas were bombing on six and seven fellas and it's great and looks brilliant, but that takes it out of you as well. Yeah, yeah. You could be running and being that decoy runner, no one notices, but you're after making a 70, 80 yard sprint. Um, So another thing is because they never played like that, come the last 20 minutes, it was so safe and structured and they knew exactly where they're going. They probably had the energy like left all the time because it was a case of, you go this time, I go next time. They're able to recover. And then, I suppose, the myth goes out that they're unbelievably way fitter than everyone else. But a lot of it is because of the structure and the way they played. And they were so organized that they weren't burning silly energy. Six and seven of them running off one fella, you know, and next and six or yeah. seven of them are kind of gassed and trying to get their breath back and stuff like that. So there's there's two and four, two and four going like that. And... You can't do it all the time. Look, I think it's it, I feel a bit stupid talking. I feel like I'm talking down on Dublin, like unbelievable champions. What they've done is phenomenal. And look, no team success lasts forever. It was always going to come to an end. You don't replace, we've said it before, um uh, Bernard Brogan, Paul Flynn, Cluxton, Keen O'Sullivan. Do, do you know yeah. we could name them all? Michael Darren McCall. Do you know we could keep naming them? You don't replace like for like, and these lads that are coming in, we're saying they're inexperienced. They are. They could potentially go on. I hope they don't become as good as the lads that they've replaced. We're all in trouble, but they could go on and have as good a career as them. But not right now. They're not. But then you look at the bench. Someone like Kevin O'Gara there, John probably didn't get the credit he deserved. He, like he was a nightmare to come on. Imagine playing fifty or sixty minutes and him coming out like, oh geez, how am I going to stop this fella, Kevin McMahon? And they were big, physical guys. So, you know, you lose that bit of obviously experience, but you lose that bit of strength as well coming off the bench. Physical strength is, and that's what you need later on in the game when other teams are getting tired. But I suppose is is the question is then is if Dublin are to come back, is it is that the end of this team? And I don't mean players. I don't mean like you get rid of Con or Kilkenny or James McCarthy or anyone. But is it the end of like that six in a row team that? eight and ten or whatever it was um style way of playing you know it's almost like they need a reboot one way or another if it's with players or not that maybe that time is gone even though they were like rob henley missed 45 away from probably winning the game yeah on, on saturday yeah look i suppose if desi's come in and he's replaced jim gavin who was amazing and i suppose the way COVID is i'm not sure what desi's style would be what he'd want to play, but he came in in an awkward time. It was a case of, look, if it ain't broke, don't try and fix it. And it was just keep going, keep it simple, because I think if they did try and change things up, it would have been very hard for him. Um, they're very organized in the style, but I'd have no doubt that, like what, we're in August now, the league won't start till next January, February, whenever it is, he'll have a good couple of months to get his head around and start meeting the lads when they go back training, probably December, whatever time it is, 
that he will start tweaking and putting his own stamp on it. Um, I think with the way the championship has been and with just the stoppages and training and stuff, that it's been very hard to do that. So I'd have no doubt that he'll want to put his own stamp on it. Um, you're going to lose a couple of players in that Dublin team that are around a long time, but the, the main guys who have been there for the last couple of years, John Small at the back, Kieran Kilkenny, Fenton, Conor Callaghan, they're going nowhere. Um, the way James McCarthy is on the field, I couldn't see him going for another year. Um, so they're going to lose a few bodies, but I think the, the main spine or the main guys in that team will be there again next year. Mm. And for a number of years. Yeah, which is, I suppose, worrying for everyone. Although, although yeah. keeping, keeping Dublin relevant but not unbeatable might be the ultimate. That that's might be what uh, football needs, you know. Uh, yeah. Comments are flying in. Someone, Ferg, not as positive as you, saying Dublin won't come back from this anytime soon. Gavin was the key to success. Uh, GA man, do you think that Jim left at the right time? He saw the downfall coming. And they've won all Ireland since Jim left, but you know maybe maybe there is something in that. Maybe he saw what was coming through. Uh, and then the one I w- just wanted to stop on it briefly is from Mark Fitzpatrick here on Facebook saying, "How about the Dublin in discipline as the game near the end? Um, how much of a factor was that?" Now we'll talk about the John Small incident and and with McLaughlin, and we'll talk about the referee and everything like that. But Dublin did seem <laughs> like from maybe you know the 60th minute, 65th minute on. To just completely like as part of their reaction to the game getting away from them and not being able to get a grip in it was to seem to completely lose their discipline. Yeah, and I suppose that comes from not being in that position too often. Uh, all of a sudden, things weren't going right for them. The shoe was on the other foot. They were frustrated, and a lot of them aren't used to losing or probably forgotten how to lose. Um, so yeah, look, it was look, it was disappointing to see. Um, I think. Maybe the referee had something to do with that. I thought he was poor. Um, he left him away with a few bits and pieces that they shouldn't have been left away with. But look, look, it wasn't good to see. There was um, there was moments I, I seen clips of pinching and just stupid stuff, really. Like, and look, there's there's nothing worse than seeing a team, especially this team that were so good and carried themselves so well, resorting or going back to resorting to stupid stuff like that, like. You can be good winners, but you have to be good losers. And I've no doubt, look, they would have shook hands with the Mayo lads after the game, wished them well or whatever. Like, But there was a lot of it. There was, a, it was, a, it was a no need for it. Um, they could have had a lot more fellas on the sideline, to be fair. But look, that's frustration. It gets the better of all of us at different stages. But I think it comes down to they who just weren't used to being in that position. They weren't used to not being able to turn it on. All of a sudden, the momentum was the other way and they just couldn't swing it back. Look, it's frustration. It happens. Not good to see, especially from fellas who've won so much, you think they'd probably lose with a bit more grace. But look, it is what it is. Um, when, they see, when these things don't get punished properly, there's a knock-on effect. More yeah. fellas try to get away with it. Yeah. And I think you're right that that possibly Conor Lane did maybe lose... Um, the run of things a little bit late in the game and it was unfortunate and it all kind of stemmed from that John Small shoulder slash not shoulder that like you know look let's face it McLaughlin has surgery he's uh, really really badly broken jaw he's going to miss the All-Ireland final Dublin could have scored a goal out of it the game didn't stop there's lots of issues there and I think everybody reasonably but well, most people anyway I who maybe don't say yeah, that do. it's a red card now right I think the vast majority of people say I just wonder though I, and I watched the game again this morning and for the second time now seeing it in full live time as the game is going on when you don't rem- you don't realise it's about to happen because you don't, you know, you're not, you're not aware of the exact second it happens. 
I felt like live it was a shoulder. Now, obviously, we're wrong, but I just wonder, is, is too much been made of the referee? It seems to be the main talking point. Like, Dublin are after losing after six All-Irelands in a row. Mayo are the team to beat them. It's an amazing yeah. football story. And it's like everybody just wants to talk about the referee. It's a bit weird. Yeah, no, look, I think it's one of them ones that look, it looks like a shoulder. My personal opinion is fellas have got so strong. Um, they're so physical now that I, I don't think that type of shoulder should be allowed. Now, and someone else say, oh, you're taking the physicality out of it. Keep the physicality, that's fine. But if you're hitting a fella blind like that and you get it wrong, mm. which is what happened, or you're a couple of inches bigger than him and you connect with the you have serious injury, like, and the broken jaw is a serious injury, but look, he'll get over it. It could be way worse than that. I, my personal opinion is if someone's running and they can't see you and you're lining him up, and John Small is a big guy, he's a strong guy, and he hits you blind. I don't care if he only gets you in the shoulder, you're in trouble. Yeah. You're getting hurt. Um, and I heard people on about it, oh, because the shoulder is, it's too dangerous. Um, fellas are too strong. Fellas are absolute, like we've seen it with them, they're machines now. Um, they're all in the gym. It's like being in a car crash that you can't see coming. Um, personally, I think it should be gone. There's no reason as a defender you can't be there to stand him up or whatever, but it's too too dangerous. You, you're off by a, a fraction or you're a bit later, you're a bit earlier, a bit too high. It's too it's too dangerous. It's too yeah. serious an injury. Um, I can under look, game, the speed of the game, it looked like a shoulder. But I think it's a bigger issue than that. I just think that whole aligning effect, like you can't do it in rugby. Mm. Do you know? And uh, personally, I just think it's too dangerous. Other people say, oh, you're taking physicality. There's no problem with physicality. But this, the angle that they're going at, there's no way you can hit him clean shoulder to shoulder. You, there's always a chance you're going to get him in the face. Yeah. Um, do you know? And I just think you have to nip that in the board. And that's a rules thing. Again, <laughs> back to rules again. This year will be changing up personally i just think when fellas are as strong as they are now and you're hitting a fella blind you're opening yourself up so look game speed looks like a shoulder and you're like oh what a hit it's too dangerous for yeah me. you know and i would have loved i loved the big hits and stuff but you just see fellas now they're they're too strong you see it in club games fellas are in the gym especially now with the off with the way it breaks and fellas got big and strong and everyone wants that big hit and it's just a recipe for disaster for me Mm. Yeah, I suppose I wonder does the fact that it is a red card and you couldn't have any complaints if you do go in anyway slightly high, is that in a way outlawing that type of challenge? Because you can't control whether you do that or not. So it's far too big a risk for the tackler to do it if yeah. it is refereed properly. And there is that kind of assumption that I'm just going to look at the ground here for two seconds and see that this guy's knocked out and there's blood all over his face. Yeah. And maybe not know the whistle, and that's where you would have to be criticism, criti critical of letting well, very fast. You said it there control, you're not in control. If I'm the one lining you up for a shoulder, I'm not in control of it at all because you could see me last minute and take a slight move, and I'm getting you straight in the face. I just think the control, though, the players are moving too fast, too strong, you get it out. But the fact that he didn't stop the game, whether it was shoulder to shoulder or not. And he got him clean the shoulder. Not stopping the game with a fella laid out like that was a joke. You yeah. could see the way he fell down, with the way he hit the ground. All it do, all it takes is a second look. This fella's on the ground. He's not moving. Like the fact that he left the game, but doesn't matter who would nearly got a goal or a score. The fact that he never stopped the game was a joke. 
Mm. And he should be brought up for it because all the other decisions in the game where there should have been black cards and he gave, he copped out with yellow cards. Who cares about that? Like this is a fella with a broken jaw. He's going to miss a big game. That's fine. He'll recover. But it could have been way more serious. And he left that game go on with a fella laid out on the ground like that, which is wrong. Yeah. And his linesman watching it as well. And yeah, so that's the thing. The linesman watching it and the linesman, it's not like he's his buddy from the local parish. He's another top referee. Yeah, Morris Deegan, yeah. Yeah, and like I have a good time for Morris and you know, he's a good referee, you know, but I I can't get over it with, with all the talk of concussion and how serious things that they can see this fella laid out in the ground and now not buzzing into each other, get the game, get back here quick. Yeah. yeah, dangerous stuff, like really. So um, it is, and like, like it's not John Small's look, John Small went for the big hit, which a lot of players do. So I, I think it's unfair and there was all these talks if it was an elbow, it wasn't the elbow lifts after. Yeah. He went for the big hit and he got it wrong. And I'm sure look, he doesn't want to be going up. You go, he probably, you don't want to injure him, but he's going up to leave his mark. All right. Um, so, like, I think, like, what he did, like, take him out of it, it could be anyone. I don't think he went out to injure him. He went out to give a big hit, a big kind of momentum changing hit. Um, and he got it wrong. So, like, I wouldn't be going hammering tongues on him now, criticizing him. He was doing what a lot of other players would have done as well. Yeah, well, um, that's that. I'm sure we'll hear more about it. And as I said, it has been a huge talking point. I think I think we probably did it right. I think it was worth talking about after we talked about Mayo and Dublin rather yeah. than being the main thing. But uh, look, a big thing. Just before we um, we go, Darren, there's been look. Mayo are there now. It's three weeks until the All Ireland final. Uh, we've another week to wait before um, Kerry and Tyrone. Um, I thought the Kerry statement yesterday was interesting. It was kind. Of, it was very much look. We want to play the game. We don't want to walk over. But just remember, this isn't our fault. It's someone else's fault. Yeah. We'll play the game. I kind of thought there was a, it was a little bit out of both sides of their mouth. But maybe there, I can understand the frustration in, in Kerry because, like, you know, we've won All-Ireland final, the semi-final played before we even knew when the second one was going to be on. We've pushed the All-Ireland final out by two weeks now. It's a bit of a mess, but I'm, I'm not sure what the solutions were other than this. No, I think that's the thing. There was no, there was no other solution for me. I always felt it should have been given them an extra week, and then you put the final back week. Not a deal for anyone, but it is what it is, and they should have made that decision very quickly. I think Kerry's statement is a case of, look, we want to play it. We don't want to see any team not playing a semi final. It wouldn't have been great for Kerry anyway, but it isn't our fault. So if one of our boys get COVID, you better look after us as well. Yeah, and I think that's look, that's. That's just the way it is. Look, I think Kerry's have come out and said, look, we have no problem waiting for him to recover. We want a semi-final. We want to play a Tyrone team as fit and healthy as they can be. But it isn't our fault. We're going along with it. But because look, the way the case are going, it could happen to Mayo in the next one. It could happen to Kerry. And they're probably saying, we want the same leniency if it does happen to him either us or Mayo if one of them got to the final or whatever. Mm. Yeah, um, so we'll see how it goes. We'll obviously talk more about that game, um, you know, uh, when it eventually does happen in a couple of yeah. weeks. Dollar and Hurling final gets its weekend at its moment anyway, and sure, we'll extend the season by a couple of weeks. Uh, club players yeah. might not be happy, but for us watching. Um, before I let you go, then, there was it was just an interesting weekend in general, I thought, that with Offaly and not Ross Common in a brilliant final. It was a really exciting game, but it was also just, like, interesting to watch these teams up against each other. You know, even the colours as a match is something that you don't... Yeah see at Crow Park and then I know it's a completely different sport but just in in, in like me beating um, 
Cork in the in, in the women's yeah, game having a different yeah. thing. It feels like there was a kind of a I don't know if Dublin losing set this off or it's all just part of the same story, but it feels like it could be like the, we could be in for a bit of a sort of a re uh configuring of things and that maybe we could be in for more open uh football in general i know we were talking about like women's under 20s it's all different but it felt like one of those weekends were a bit a bit changed didn't it yeah it does and like that i think like for awfully if michael diagram's gone in as chairman like i heard um maybe a good friend of michael fenley mm. um not that he was getting involved with the awfully but he helped with bits and pieces and Sometimes it's just about getting your house in order and setting out a plan and just even watching the off lads in the in the games previous just the style of football they're playing. That's infectious for the rest of the county. Even the lads older going, this is where we want to play. We have footballers to do this. And then it's about being brave and just doing it. And if it doesn't work out, just keep going, keep trying. And like there's bound to the other counties now that are watching Roscommon and Offaly and going, well, if they can do it. So can we, and then it's a case of how do we get the wheels in motion? How do we start? And a lot of it's just patience. It doesn't happen overnight. You know, you have to set set this going now slowly but surely. It'll build up, and so it was good to see. It was great to see, and um, like that, I don't think it was all down to double losing. The empire crumbled, and everyone came running out. But uh, uh, no, like that. Look, we all want different teams. We want to see more teams getting to the big days, and like it'll come down to the tears and the to different tiers and sometimes you need a bit of success to generate more success and um, hopefully I think Offaly now who had a, a lean couple of years football and hurling had a great year this year in both codes and look that'll kick it on and you just hope that other teams that have struggled in, re- in recent years um, will start using them as an example as to why they can get back up to the, to the main stage yeah We'll get you to put your money where your mouth is now next year when it's uh when it's Dublin and Offaly in the Leinster final and Limerick in yeah. the Munster final. <laughs> it would be great. It'll be great. Darren, thanks so much for uh brilliant analysis today and uh we'll chat to you in a couple of weeks. Perfect. We'll talk to you later. Thanks thanks a million as always to Darren. Brilliant stuff, um, as usual. A lot to a lot to digest there. Um God, there's there's just so much in one seventy minutes. It's almost glad that there wasn't another game. But uh if you're enjoying the show, uh please do subscribe. If you're watching on YouTube, subscribe to the channel. Of course, if you're listening on the podcast, please subscribe, leave a rating, leave us uh, um leave a comment if you can as well. It's obviously of great help. Uh later this week we're gonna be doing an all Ireland hurling final preview show with Shane McGrath and some special guests. Uh, so stay tuned for that um, on our Balls channels for details as to when that's going to be. Um, before we go today, though, we're going to get inside the game with Morris Brosnan. Okay, Morris Brosnan is here with us from Melbourne. Morris, it's a few weeks since we've chatted. I don't know if, uh, you know, I was just saying to Darren, I don't know whether it would have, uh, I don't know whether in a weird, weird way it was good that there wasn't the second semi-final yesterday because I don't think we would have been able to catch our breath after Saturday night. I know, it's kind of crazy. Finally, we have a, a much welcome opportunity to kind of breathe and take in what we saw. And it, it was probably, it was the culmination of nearly everything we've talked about over the last couple of weeks, Mick, really. Yes, in, in terms of uh, conditioning, execution of basic skills, hand signals, we even saw Brian Howard doing that in the second half. It mm-hmm. all kind of came together yesterday and proved that uh, quite telling. So it was nearly fitting, really, that we're, we're catching up after that game. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Look, we wanted to talk about a couple of different things uh, to get into it. We'll we'll look we'll start looking ahead to the hurling final. We'll talk about Liam Sheedy. We want to talk about a, a more general sort of uh, sense of promotion of the game and stuff. But look, we touched on it already on the show about the reaction to Connor Lane. Um, but I know it's something that you wanted to talk about. Like, you know me. Me and you have known each other for a long time. I'm not the most sympathetic always to referees. I tend to overreact. I'm somebody in the moment who might even jump on an old conspiracy theory or two uh, <laughs> when my team is involved. But even watching on Saturday night, it's like it started to feel uncomfortable even during extra time how focused everybody was on a couple of decisions. And then as we went through Saturday night, and all day yesterday, and even this morning, I feel like an empire crumbled on Saturday night. The team who have been trying to knock them for so long were the team that triumphed. There's an amazing story in May of themselves, and everybody is just talking about the referee. It's too much, like. Oh, it's it's baffling, and it's also it's absolutely mind-numbing. Uh, the die-hard listeners of the the so-called Wicker Podcast will remember I banned talking about referees at one stage because I was just so sick of it. Yeah. And my, to be honest, my thought process on that hasn't changed. It, firstly, the reason that I, I I did that, the reason I hate this conversation is because nothing ever changes. We we overanalyze to the nth degree. We work ourselves up into a massive frenzy. And nothing improves. There's no suggestions on how we make things better. Nothing changes. It's repeat, recycle every single week. But secondly, I actually think it's counterintuitive. I, I think we're doing more damage than we realize with these conversations. If I was, you would not... If you offer me diamonds, I wouldn't be an intercounty referee. There's nothing I could imagine uh, disliking more. But if I was a referee, I would be terrified of every single decision. Because either, you're, this is the way, to my mind, this is the way a referee is approaching games now. If I decide to send somebody off, I know I'm going to be undermined and most likely be overturned on appeal, especially in an all semi semi-final. That's just the precedent now. If I try and intervene and enforce the rules, I'm going to be accused of ruining the sport. If I try and let it flow, I'm going to have every single decision over analyzed the nth degree and be called a disgrace and every name under the sun. I don't know where that actually helps anybody. And especially in a case like this where, you know, separate to all this, Mick, there are so many more interesting things to talk about after this game. Yeah. The fact that people are working themselves into a frenzy about uh, Conor Lane and his performance, not to say, by the way, I think, you know, he, got, he obviously didn't get everything right. I think it's okay to criticize it. But to this extent, to mm. work ourselves into such a frenzy, I think is absolutely is baffling, to be honest. And also, there's, to my mind, there's really easy fixes to the problem that we're seeing with referees. Take the timekeeping off him. The, thing, the criticism he's getting for blowing up at the end of the game is such a simple fix. Why is the referee even concerned with that? Yeah. Yeah, in, entirely. Uh, I Secondly... Sorry. Going back to Aim for Smart, Aim for down with Kerry, and the, one of the things he said straight away afterwards, he pointed to umpires and he said, We need to empower umpires so they can intervene. The only, right now, in the rule book, not everybody knows this, in the rule book, an umpire can only intervene if it's a bookable offense. They can't intervene if it's uh, something minor outside of that. Now, to my mind, that you need to empower an uh, umpire to be able to be in uh, communication with a referee during game, and you also need to uh, have designated umpires so there's not this idea of that a referee because whether or not this is true the idea is out there that umpires are linesmen uh, are competing with referees the, the linesman is uh is effectively his competition they both want an Ireland final I, I don't know if that's true or not but the idea is out there it's been said enough that that has to be a factor so if you had a designated linesman who has been uh, empowered to do their job make they, all of this so much easier and we would avoid this tedious conversation every single time where we overanalyze everything we change absolutely nothing i guarantee you i absolutely guarantee you we'll be sitting here in, in a year having this same conversation because nobody's mm. actually interested in 
changing anything. Nobody's interested. It's just in uh, create, you know, proposing solutions. The only thing they're interested in is this performative anger and uh, throwing it all on a referee's door. You know, a referee makes a, makes a mistake. It happens. Look, it, it's not ideal, but it happens. In the same way that some of the greatest footballers of my lifetime made mistakes, made really significant disciplinary mistakes. You know, uh, it, it's funny. Referee is a disgrace and a shambles and everything under the sun for missing an off-the-ball incident. But God forbid if you label a player a disgrace and a shambles and you, you, you attack their character for uh, elbowing somebody in the throat, for throwing somebody on the, the ground, for any of these things. And th the fact is nobody is any of those things. They're mistakes. They happen. <laughs> Take a chill pill. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Look, I, I'm with you on that. Like, and you know me, I like, again, I would have sometimes a little bit less sympathy, but I just thought as it went on, as it went on, mainly yesterday even, like forget take Saturday night out of it, it's like there was more important things to talk about. And the result, you know, most of the criticism was from a you know, that that Dublin weren't punished or whatever it is. Mayo won the game. So it didn't even have a, a an, an actual impact on the result in the way that it might have had earlier in the year with Claire and Tip or whatever. You know, and it oh, anyway, yeah, I look I completely agree with you. Come here, there's a probably a bigger point to be made, um, in terms of criticism if you know, on a lot of the referee calls, sometimes it comes from the rules and the rules might be a bigger issue than the uh the referees themselves, despite obviously mistakes being made by humans. Um uh, but in another way that you can look at, I, my segue has gone completely arseways here, Boris, but you've been given out all year about the promotion of the game and where, you know, we're, we're, as you said, we finally have time to breathe because of a COVID outbreak robbed us of another All-Ireland semi-final um, this week and indeed next week. And look, thankfully, in a weird way, thankfully we've got an All-Ireland final weekend on its own next week and not lumped in with a, with a football semi-final, you know. But there's lots of reasons for it. We know what they are. The club game, the club player, it's a weird season anyway. We couldn't start until very late because of COVID and everything else. But there's a lot more they can be doing to make these occasions occasions yeah exactly and uh i should clarify all of this before i before i uh, unleash my spiel here that i am i am and i was and i'm a club player right now i'm playing for a club in australia but i was a club player in ireland all the time and i particularly hated these conversations about promotion and commercial interests for <laughs> Who's like a, harder to get games and organization and so on and so forth yeah exactly yeah um, yeah and, but you know, and so, and I, and I've, I've said this before. Actually, I hated these conversations about the commercial aspect of all this and the promotion and interests and all that because I thought this is a an amateur sport where different to other organisations. And why does that stuff seem to always take precedence over the club player and uh, certainty and a designated split calendar and all those sorts of things? However, those things are here now, right? We have a split calendar. It's established. The, from now on, that's this is the way it is. And within so within that framework, I still think that uh, I, I have a huge amount of sympathy for club players this year, and I do think the what, what the provincial championship is in a precarious situation. I know it has been said that the this, all these counties are given assurances that they would still be considered for provincial championships. I don't know how you can give assurances with uh, a pandemic and a disease. I don't know. It, you know, you encounter one problem and the picture changes. So I'm not sure about that. However, there's a bigger picture conversation here, which is about uh, the GEA and their the greatest marketing tool that this game has and the what, how great a sport is and how we should be able to share that right so everything that i talk about a lot of people think these are just uh you know mind-numbing journalist concerns that don't uh, attain to the general public but they actually do you know when i talk about uh having a centralized statistics base when i talk about naming teams before games when i talk about 
uh, pre-game interviews, any of this sort of thing. It's not about the, the act, none of that. I don't care about any of that stuff. It doesn't matter to me. What does matter to me is the, we the weapons or the vehicles we use to promote the GA. And right now, I don't think we are doing the, our game the service that it deserves. I don't think we've sufficiently promoted really against, and this will have, like, like have no doubt about this. If we continue down this path, it'll have serious repercussions for the GA in terms of general interest, in terms of PR, in terms of revenue. And you can moan about that all you want, but this revenue goes back into grassroots. It is a club's concern because this is the greatest tool we have at our disposal is in the inter-county game. So if we don't give a framework for the GA to help promote itself, you know, it doesn't have to be an, ex an extreme. I gave examples in the past about uh, the AFL, every club is mandated in the AFL to name a team on a Wednesday. Uh, there's certain uh, designated media sessions that everybody has to participate in. Uh, the lines open the doors to documentaries this year. They actually had trouble selling in documentaries, but the same thing uh, in terms of TR, in terms of a PR from a PR perspective. Now they're professional entities and I don't necessarily think that you should adopt that framework, but it's just having some sort of framework instead of this ad hoc, like there's, there's nobody kind of, we're at a stage now, Mick, where before an All-Ireland semi-final, the greatest rivalry in our lifetimes, this, the Mayo-Dublin game, and no Mayo player does media before the game. So there's nothing in terms of promotion for that. The teams aren't named until the day of the game. So you are relying, supporters are looking around, crying for something to get excited about. And they have to go and wait for the program, to, the published program to get their hands on teams. Like, why is that such a big deal? Why do you have to keep that, uh, you know, behind the gates? Mm. The, the statistics thing is driving me insane because we, we don't appreciate what players have achieved this year until we have a centralized statistic base because there's things we overlook, you know, um, we only realised a week beforehand that Aidan O'Shea is about to make his 50 championship appearance. The Joe Canning, there was still speculation the week before. I was reading a conflicting report on the figure Joe Canning needed for his scoring total. The fact that we're at that stage, I think it does a massive disservice to the game and to players. And I just think we could do so much better. And I know a lot of people hate this conversation and I, and I do appreciate why. But I just think... Yeah, you know, but let's talk about why I, I'm I, I'm with you here, but there's a discussion there that like somebody um I, I had a conversation on Twitter with Jamie Wall, who I would respect an awful lot, and is involved in all levels of the game, grassroots, colleges, etc. And he would say, you know, we don't need to promote the game. Who cares? It's there for you know. There's there's members in every town in the country, so on and so forth, and they are there, and they're more important than everybody else, right? Yeah. That's an argument. I don't necessarily agree with it. I do, I do. I think they're probably more important to an amateur organization, absolutely. But it doesn't help grow the game. A lot of people don't have the aren't born into the GEA in in the way some people are. You know that you're literally born into a club and you're down there from when you're five years old. A lot of people don't have that. We do want to always continue to grow the game around the country, give people a chance to play. For example, me and you have had lots of conversations about why we don't grow hurling. In outside of the traditional pockets, you can't do that if you're just expecting nobody to have any access if you're outside of it. But then the other side of it, say somebody like Mark Farley, who people will know from podcasts on here in the past and so on and so forth, he'd have a very strong opinion that if Dublin win 45 in a row and nobody ever goes to Crow Park again, football isn't going to die because it's still going to be the most important thing in his village and in all the yeah. villages around him. And the Cavan Championship is still going to matter, you know as much as it does i'm just wondering where you fall on 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 those arguments that the gea is local and whatever happens nationally is great and we should all watch it but it ultimately isn't as important as the community where it starts and how much that matters to them 
So, so I can I can fully appreciate how you would come to that train of logic, but at the same time, I think it's a it's a really dangerous idea to propagate the idea that intercounty and grassroots are disenfranchised, that they're apart. Because if you speak to intercounty players about this, they absolutely are not. And the intercounty game is the greatest promotional tool the J has, whether we like that or not. So, if you go and speak to um, I've done a lot of work this year talking about Limerick football, the battle to grow Limerick football, the great work that's done by Paul Connerk with the, um, he set up the Grassroots, Grassroots Academy. It's starting to come to fruition. You're starting to see those players come to inter-county football. You have, we actually spoke about uh, people like Billy Lee, who are like, you know, genuinely enthusiastic local Limerick people trying to grow the game there. If you speak to them, and you know, I've had this conversation, the greatest tool they have is players, is players. So, you know, say for example, 2010 Limerick get to a monster final. That's the, the Paranahan era. That is viewed by a lot of people as the greatest missed opportunity that Limerick ever had because they didn't do enough to get into schools, get those players who are playing in the Munster final and use that to promote the game. So these don't have to be separate conversations. They actually be interconnected. We spoke two weeks ago about Joe Canning. You know, go and talk to the people organising cool camps in Galway. Go and talk to people in Portumna, in Ardrahan, in Athenry about the effect Joe Canning has on grassroots hurling on how he uh, gets people to promote the game. I wrote a piece for Balls two weeks ago with Damien Coleman, who's a promotional officer working for the GA, uh, Protoman Man. And he's pointed to people going abroad and meeting young uh, first generation, second generation, third generation Irish kids. And the reason they're playing hurling abroad is because their parents watch Joe Canning on TV and want their kids to be like Joe Canning. It is, so the idea that these aren't interconnected is, is a nonsense, really. Now, I, I fully appreciate why you would have the view that that stuff shouldn't take, or the inter-county the promotion aspect shouldn't take precedence over members, over uh, the grassroots, over club members. But as I said, now that we have a framework and we have, this is the next stage of the conversation. The fact that we have a framework and an organized calendar, you know, the CPA has stood down because they achieved their goal. So that goal is there now, right? You have an established calendar, the the freedom to do what you want to do. This year, I actually, I would strongly argue that it's going to be compromised. I don't think the semi-final should have been postponed purely because of what it's going to do for, um, for the club players. But I'm talking about, this is a grander scheme of things. I'm talking about, can we provide a framework where these things are interconnected, where, you know, all these players want to go back and play with the grassroots anyway. This stuff isn't, I don't think they're separate conversations. Yeah. And then within that, we can still do a lot more to encourage the promotion of a game. And I would say that there's a feeling to me now, I look, it, it kind of caught life a little bit this weekend and that's fair enough. But there's a feeling to me that there's a, there's a GEA that's happening this summer that's a little bit lost now it's the busiest yeah. week we you'll, you'll ever ever have it's the busiest summer you'll ever have because everything is postponed and so on and we've the usual uh odd number like things like the lions tour mixed in with the euros and the olympics and so on that will never happen sure. again but it's also a shortened summer it's also you know I, I i don't know and i and i just feel that the games are coming everybody's watching them when they're on but sometimes we're not even sure when they're on. What they're, you can go and find all these things; they're available, but they're not as in your face as they would. And I've, I, I don't know whether it feels to you that the GEA, you're and you're outside it. You're obviously not in the country, but you're you're following everything. If the GEA is just taking a little bit of a back step this summer, and then when it happens, like it did on Saturday night, or did when Cork won a couple of weeks ago, or, or you know, it's like. It's still the biggest thing out there. It's still the thing that people get most emotional about. It's still the thing most get into. But it's like we're relying on Cork and Kilkenny people getting hyped up in the week that's in it, but not nationally. We're relying on Mayo people getting hyped up this week, but not nationally. You know, and then it happens. Everybody goes nuts. And it's like I'm already 
kind of thinking we're going to have a very quiet build-up to Limerick and Cork this weekend. And then come Saturday, come Sunday afternoon, it'll feel like All-Ireland Day and that's great. And then people will forget the fact that we haven't really talked about this for four or five days in the way we used to. And I don't know why that is. It's obviously touching on a few of the points that you're making, but I also just think that we're just sort of lost a little bit. It feels like a throwaway last summer, not as much as it was last year, obviously when it was in you know, empty stadiums in Crow Park and you, we, we had a runoff basically in, to try and get it all done before Christmas. But it doesn't feel back to the way it was in 2018, 2019. Yeah, and I, to be honest, I think this is just going to be, uh, this is probably a bit of a cynical way of looking at it. I think that potentially is the way it's just going to be with a condensed calendar. I just think things are going to get lost. It's going to feel rushed. You can point to the lines in Olympics, which are legit, legit, legitimate concerns, but there's going to be stuff every summer. You know, I I do feel like when you have um when you have a shortened calendar, this stuff is going to happen. Now, at the same time, you know, I think that's an acceptable sacrifice to make for the, what we're trying to achieve here, which is to give uh, club players a you know a designated some sort of structure certainty. However, this conversation filters back to what I just mentioned, which is that now that we have that framework, could we do more to you know these are like these are great games, Mick. Like we're we're watching a great game. We're watching some of the all-time great players. I just think we could do. I don't know why, you know, to some people it's a really controversial opinion. Why can't we celebrate that more? Why can't we uh, allow that to be a, a marketing tool to grow the game more? You know, th- th- this stuff doesn't have to be all in, in isolation. Every, you know, we, uh, go back, what was it, uh, five years ago and Richard Cody and, uh, I mean, Carlo in general, right? But the, um, the Cody brothers come up particularly and were particularly vocal about what needed to happen for, so Carlo... Uh, get to have Joe McDonough success, have a brief rotation in the championship. There's uh, a lot of buzz about it. And what does he point to? He points to the promotion of uh, their intercounty team, not because he's interested in having his um, name in the paper or screen picture on TV, not because he wants to, uh, you know, facilitate journalists. Because there are a number of senior clubs in Carlow is dwindling every single year. Youngsters in Carlow aren't walking around in Carlow jerseys; they're walking around in Kilkenny jerseys. Why is that the case? Because they never see Carlow on the Sunday game. They don't see their team playing. They don't see any sort of uh, sense of what they so- could achieve. So, you know, th- these things aren't disconnected. Now, as it happens, Carlo got a lot of promotion that year uh, off the back of a lot of th- those those interviews because they were willing to be vocal, which kind of just comes back around to the idea. Carlo, you know, were allowed to be vocal. That led to promotion. That led to some sort of, uh, whatever you want to call it, momentum behind them. Uh, now, unfortunately, as, as the case, they went back down. Um, but this it just all comes I think that perfectly illustrates that this all ties together it doesn't have to be be separate conversations and uh, I kind of I do balk at the idea that for some reason we're viewed as being in competition with each other that you know me the club player and the inter-county game uh, I'm obviously uh, biased in terms of from a media perspective as well but I just think that you know <laughs> it shouldn't be it shouldn't be a controversial opinion that we can all coexist yeah yeah um, before we go, uh, I just want to talk about the, the starter build-up in some way to the, to the hurling final. But before before even that, there's news this morning that Liam Sheedy has stepped down as uh, as Tipperary manager after a, a successful three-year term that included an All Ireland. He finished he finished the first time with an All Ireland, and he started at this time. Um, you know, geez, he was out of the game like nine years. Or so when Brendan Maher retired last year, I ended up going back and for a piece I was writing and listening back to some of the coverage around the 2019 final. Um, I do remember a conversation we had about uh, Liam Sheedy's um, his extended and more enthusiastic fist pumping and clapping and celebrating uh, that he had on the sideline uh, this time, perhaps more than he did in his first um, stint. But I think more so is like gathering a tip team together that I think people will have forgotten were 
talented, no doubt about it, won the All Ireland in 2016, but you know, hadn't, didn't get out of the group in Munster in 2018. But we're also plagued with a lot of bullshit, like a lot of you know WhatsApp rumors and different yeah. things like that, and lads getting Kyle Barrett being suspended off the panel for. I can't even remember what, you know, but it was disciplinary reasons and so on and so forth. Rumors, et cetera, et cetera. It never seemed like it was all together. That's what Liam Sheedy was able to do was come back in and like put Tommy Dunn and Eamon O'Shea in charge of the coaching. Like never, not, no uh, ego there or anything like that, but also just like gather this, this incredibly talented, the most talented group of players in the country, especially at that time, and say, lads, you've another All-Ireland in there. What the hell are you doing? Yeah, and also just, uh, it's funny, you know, I was just thinking about this before I came on there. Uh, you, you mentioned Brendan Maher there. My first day of work with Balls, here's a good one for you, was I was sent to Crow Park and I got a one-on-one with Brendan Maher, my very first day <laughs> at work. And uh, he mentioned those, I don't know if you remember this, he mentioned those WhatsApp rumors and yeah. mentioned the, the stuff that was going on. But he also, like, he's a really intelligent fella. He he actually thanked media for the coverage of that and for uh, they're being fair and actually helping to counteract some of the nonsense that was going around at yeah. the time, you know. So, like, and, and that kind of leadership aspect, I think, it was very evident in a, an interview like that. And then, so I don't know if, if you kind of get the same sense that I do. Like, it does feel like a bit I'm sad, might be the wrong word, but you know, I, I, I just hope that we collectively appreciate what to this Tipperary, what this collective gave to the game of hurling. Uh, like, you go back to 2010 and just how dominance Kilkenny were going for a five in a row and look, look at the, the backbone of that team like Paul Maher played that day Brendan Maher played that day Bonner played James Canlan came on hit two points um, Noel McGrath played that day yeah. and you know you go on to 2016 2019 that you know in effect keeping hurling interesting at the same time beyond just the medals there's the rivalries that they they gave uh, you know me and my Galway had on the Galway tip rivalry goes back to uh, Babs and Sarah Farrell but suddenly it absolutely explodes in, in 2010. You have uh, just, you know, fireworks. Uh, Lark Harbour hitting a point in extra time to, to win it. Fast forward, you know, these players, what they gave us in 2015, Sean Maloney point. 2016 was just absolutely fireworks. 2017, obviously Joe Canning. 2019, was that the game of the championship uh, when they were back under Sheedy? Probably was, you know, yeah. uh, an absolute thriller. Like what they gave to Hurling, what Liam Sheedy and this collective, I'm not retiring the rest of that collective at all, by the way. Yeah, that's a <laughs> but just in terms of what you know that unit it does feel like the whatever happens next it does feel like an end of an era uh, whoever goes in there whether it be uh lean cattle seems to be obviously forerunner Darry egan the co-chair is uh, very highly regarded as well whatever happens to be it does seem like there's going to be a bit of a, a bit of a clear out a bit of kind of regeneration i suppose and, and move on to a, a new era but i just i hope that it amidst all of that conversation it doesn't get lost what that unit spearheaded by uh Liam Sheedy gave to the hurling because it was just it was just magic yeah in a weird way three all irelands doesn't feel like an incredible thing but if you look at the history of tip it that's actually an incredible run for them because tip do tend to kind of go on you know one all ireland a decade sort of you know for, yeah, for, yeah. Sort of to win those three in that time and be a really relevant force all the way through but yeah again i mean we hope we haven't seen the end of them all i suppose i don't want i i would like to see seamus callan and porrick mar uh no mcgrath etc still hurl but uh we said goodbye to brendan last week and what a player he was and then uh now Liam Sheedy's obviously stepping down which does signal that it's a kind of a, a a rebuild at the very least in the you know I don't know if we're looking at the same with the dubs as well in the football yeah. side of things um whether just it's on a, just on that Mick just yeah. before we move off that just just very briefly one thing I I think we there's a uh, an issue a small issue within uh, GA is that we we definitely rush to retire players too early and 
I think it would be a massive, massive mistake if uh, Tipperary move on from all those players at once. You know, it, it could be, Kieran Donaghy touched on this a couple of years ago, you, you know, why should I retire because I'm uh, 33 and everyone thinks I should retire when he felt great. And they can still, the thing is, they can still have an impact. Go back to that year and he kind of uh, takes David, David Clifford under his wing and ends up being the person who palms down. You know, David Clifford, when's the moment he announced himself on the intercounty scene, the goal against Monaghan, who palms the ball down to him, Kieran Donaghy. So these players can have a massive, massive impact in terms of uh, leadership, in terms of you know the off-field stuff. You look at uh, Mayo and James Horn. I think the way he's managed that transition, he he didn't rush off anybody. He saw a, a group of players drop off, but a lot of those players could have came earlier, and they were kept within the the, the the panel within the squad. And the reason they were doing that was, you know, even if they're on, on the bench, Keith Higgins might necessarily have an impact. But I can guarantee you, Keith Higgins is walking through Ocean Mullen in terms of uh, how to man mark and training. So those players can have a massive impact. So if they don't want to go, I think it would be a massive mistake to force them to go. Yeah. And the A versus B games, as we talked about on the show, for yeah. three weeks in a row now as well. So let's make it three weeks in a row. But you can imagine what like Colin Boyle is doing in Mayo training at the moment. <laughs> you know what I mean? If he's not, maybe he's not there anymore. But like I'd say, he's still uh, toughening up, lads. Let's say. Um, right. Okay. One thing from we're going to have a preview show later in the week with Shane and 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 possibly someone else. But uh, if you were to think of one intriguing thing that you're kind of going to be thinking about a little bit this week ahead of Cork and Limerick, what's it going to be? Uh, well, I think if you look at Limerick, the, the the greatest thing about them is that they don't bend for anybody. So they will impose their game regardless. You know, they they don't care how you set up. They will always set up the same way. Now that is in a way terrifying because of how good they are. But I I really hope, regardless of what happens at the weekend, I really hope between um, Kim Kingston and Jeremy Sullivan and Don O'Grady, while they do see that as a threat, they also see it as an opportunity. You know, I really hope that they go out and try and expose. Say, for example, if Limerick are going to go out, right, and they're going to set up in this zonal press from a puck out, I would love to see, even if it's just off one puck out, one or two puck outs, why don't you leave two forwards up and bring everybody else back and flood the space? Somebody will have to be free and see, do they bend? See, does, you know, a, a, a man follow? See, can you break that zonal press? Uh, because if they don't, you know, if Limerick stick their game plan, as they have done relentlessly with incredible success, uh, you you will force them to do something. You know you'll ask some sort of question, and I hope they do something like that. Declan Hannon is going to sit. He's going to drop off. We all know that, and the reason that it works is it's because he's such a good distributor of the ball. But what if you try to expose him with somebody like Jack O'Connor? You can't react to pace like that, or Callaghan or Kingston. What if they went out at eleven, and suddenly you know William Dunne was trying to cover back. About, uh, Hannon is trying to react but when a guy is fast you, you know if he's had the balls in his hands and you're trying to react you're in trouble you're chasing down mm. shadows effectively so I would just I would love to see Cork do something something I, 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 I would be very hopeful that they, this will happen that we will see some something sort of creative but I, I just really hope that Cork will ask a real question you, you know it, it can feel like this is elementary analysis have a cut but at the same no. time you know I do I do hope that Cork do that that they do go and do something just try and pose a different question to Limerick just don't bend to what they want to do because we know what Lim- Limerick are going to try and impose themselves on Cork as they do to everybody so I would love mm-hmm. to see Cork try and react to that you know it, it, in any form whether that be off a puck out off positional changes just something I, I would love to see that happen yeah you might not be be able to beat Limerick anyway but you're definitely not going to be able to beat them if you let them play the game on their terms and don't bring them out of their court comfort zone in some way uh brilliant I'm, i can't wait for it we're going to have a um a preview as i said later in the week but maris thanks a million for joining us this morning we've, we've covered all the yields and the the good the good and the bad and the ugly of uh, gea over the last half an hour yeah thanks many mick
Thanks a million to Morris. If you've enjoyed the show today, please do subscribe. If you're watching on YouTube, subscribe to the channel. If you're listening on the podcast, obviously subscribe and uh, leave a comment and a, and a rating for us as well. It helps a lot. Um, we'll be back, as I said, with a, a special GA Embedded preview show for the All-Ireland Hurling Final later in the week. Stay tuned to Ball's social channels for that. And stay tuned to Balls.e all week for lots of great coverage of what's gone before, what's coming in terms of the All-Ireland Final. And, of course, uh, we'll keep an eye on the situation with Mayo and or with um, Kerry and Tyrone as well. So I um, hope you enjoyed the show. We'll be back with you later in the week. See you then.